This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Wednesday, 15th of February, 2023, and we have... uh, Boy, we got interesting developments overnight, I think, related to the China reopening story. We're going to get to that in a moment. We need to rewind a bit and look at this CPI uh, data point released yesterday. So the market, I think, was uh, hungry for for something interesting, hungry for some information value from this. We didn't really get that, at least in the month-on-month data points, even if the year-on-year uh, ones, both at the corn headline, were hotter than expected. The market was all over the place, uh, really tough to draw any kind of conclusions from what was unfolding in the wake of that release. We had... Uh, treasury yields both uh, down and then up, and we had uh, same for equities and same for the dollar, essentially ending unchanged on all fronts, though arguably the U.S. yields ending a little notch higher, I think being the key message here. Uh, there were some Fed hawkish speakers here, but the market, I think, is having a really hard time knowing what to do with all of this. Uh, you know, The Fed being marked a little bit higher, it's at a new cycle high, just above five and a quarter percent where the Fed or where the market is anticipating the Fed will peak this year. But the scenario doesn't really change as we've talked about recently. It just the market marks the Fed a bit higher, but still is looking for those 150 basis points or so of cuts. Maybe now that's not going to start uh, as early into the end of this year as expected. That's just pushed out a little bit, but still looking for those 150 basis points of easing next year. Fed uh, the 210 yield curve uh, reached a record inversion south of uh, 83 basis points yesterday. So. I just see a lot of tension here, Peter, in this market between uh, the the mark, you know, the Fed, the economy uncomfortably tight, Fed being marked higher, equity markets, equity markets are trying to stay resilient here to that higher yields message. I, I don't know what your take is. Well, I think my my take is that the investor is facing a dilemma because, and the dilemma is this: if there is no soft landing and we just take off, we reaccelerate, and we have seen signs potentially of that is what's going on in the U.S. economy, then inflation will not roll over as fast as the market expects. It will also stabilize most likely at a higher level, which will keep the policy rate at this level or even higher and for much longer than expected. In that case, I think the long end of the yield curve will have to decide whether the current bond yield level at the 10-year maturity is the appropriate level given those circumstances. And I, my bet would be that that's, in that case, the yields are too low. We already have seen uh, since 2015 a considerable uh, capital destruction for bondholders in real terms. So by allowing the the uh, the yield to be remain the real yield to remain being negative in the, in the benchmark treasury index would be would be bad. The other scenario, and this is the dilemma. But the forward inflation expectations say that that's actually a positive real rate out in time. I know what you're saying now. If yeah. you have inflation at five six percent now, of course. Real realized inflation or realized yields are negative because that that bond yield for the ten year is let's call it three point seven five percent. But if if this inflation is going to fall to two percent, then hey, we have positive real yields out in the future. But yes, it's not to take away your point. No, it's, it's just it, to uh, yeah, it's a good point. I I would say to that actually that that I would be cautious as an investor and a central bank that if I constantly was wrong. On inflation, thinking that it would be lower than it it, it it was realized for almost two years now, I would begin to recalibrate my thinking about inflation and the inflation dynamics. And I'm not seeing that uh, in the market. I'm seeing it slowly, 
I think actually it's at, at the central bank, uh, the Fed. Anyway, coming back to the uh, to the dilemma. So that is the dilemma. So if we if we get the soft, we do, if we don't get the soft landing but reacceleration, we'll have higher bond yields uh, in the long end of the yield curve. That would that will compress and push down the equity valuations. If and in that scenario as well, we'll have more wage pressures. We'll have a, you know more pressure on commodities. We'll have a margin pressure as well. That would be bad for equities. The dilemma is that in the other case, if inflation actually comes down to the level where the market expects, I think that will coincide with the U.S. economy slipping into a recession. If you get a recession, you will get the equity risk premium much higher. That's typically the response function you have seen historically. And that would also cause the equity market to decline because you will also have more margin pressure in a recession. So in any case, I think my message here is that we have got a lot of gains in equities already this year. I would definitely take some of those gains and reposition that with a higher weight in, in, in bonds in your asset allocation or if, if or inside the equity market allocation steer it towards more of the defensive uh, sectors to try to preserve some of that those gains you got in the in the in the growth pockets this year all right key points and uh, as I alluded to at the outset of the podcast interesting winds blowing overnight and a number of correlated assets moving lower potentially a response to uh, something like what we're seeing from this Bloomberg article that I put the headline in on slide three. I tweeted out the article both from the Saxo Market Call Twitter feed as well as my own. Looking at or talking about this uh, attempt to engineer by Chinese officialdom a consumer boom and the fact that there are apparently very generous and low interest rate loans out there for consumption. If you want to tap this, you can as a consumer. Uh, there, and it's very interesting anecdotal stories in that article talking about how Almost aggressively, some people are being cold, cold called to uh, borrow money, but then that some consumers at least are taking this money and prepaying mortgages that are uh, currently at much higher rates, or even speculating in the equity market. Now, it's somewhat anecdotal; doesn't say how widespread it is. There aren't any charts and figures on all this uh, exactly how much is being used for what, but it certainly would be a concern if uh, a significant portion of these funds is being diverted to something like that. And if, in general, the Chinese consumer is not coming back online to the degree that is hoped for and what has been a theme since really the end of last year and early into this year. So I put up a couple of charts just for some China uh, coming back proxies, anything from the copper rate. You see the March copper contract I put up there on the left there on slide three needs to hold this, let's call it 380 to $4 uh, area. It looks uh, pretty significant, but it does close below four. And it was teasing close to that $4 level uh, before we came in here to record that. And on the right, we have copper uh, in blue, same sort of same uh, instrument there uh, versus the Chinese currency, which is under pressure versus the U.S. dollar. You can see the copper and, and the Chinese yuan are almost considered the same instrument uh, if you look back at the last uh, several months. So just something to track, something should be on the radar. And I think if, as we roll forward, you'll see other things on slide four in the FX space like Aussie. Also week overnight, also a chart that looks suspiciously like the copper chart, the Aussie versus the dollar. Specifically on Australia as well, we got the Commonwealth Bank with a very cautious outlook, and that was the largest. That is the largest Australian bank, and their equity was really trashed uh, overnight in the Australian session. Something to watch there. They're concerned about the outlook for consumers who are under pressure from these higher rates, even though they say current activity levels are, are reasonably robust. And then if we look at uh, the trending readings, we can just see that the absolute trend levels are still very modest. We need the dollar to still notch a few legs, uh, a few bits higher here to, to call it an uptrend. Sterling under pressure this morning, by the way, on a, a soft CPI report that has had a bit of maybe double impact because the prior day we had all this strong jobs data. Uh, so I think uh, 
euro sterling was taken all the way to the brink and even beyond slightly to uh, to the downside and, and this reversal we saw recently but now it's rallying strongly this morning because a uh, a uh, core inflation uh, print missing by 0.4% on the year and year down to sub 6% now is just what the doctor ordered for the bank of england's very complacent outlook on where inflation is headed in the uk allows them to sit on their hands for longer so the market uh Absorbing that to a degree, and I think that's a, a negative uh, point there for Sterling as well. Very interesting to see what looks like, according to the BBC, what could be a Boris Johnson comeback attempt wow. with Liz Truss to be a chancellor. So, uh, uh, yeah, helmets on, folks, if this is a new revival of uh, uh, attempt by by these and if they're able to come into power, of course, uh, obviously down the road, that would be more interesting. But I uh, just want to flag that story. Uh, as well, uh, but Peter, we had a we had a lot of chats about. We don't have our um, earnings overview on the slide deck today. Uh, we're a bit last minute coming in here. We'll put it in uh, at the very end of the uh, slide deck. Uh, let's call it. But we had uh, we had a couple of companies we were talking about yesterday, and, and if I, to my mind, Airbnb was one of them. And I saw that they were looking for a pretty strong activity this coming quarter, sort of underlining that that potential for a reacceleration, etc. That's a very discretionary income item to travel and to, to stay with an Airbnb stay. But I don't know if you uh, saw that story or anything else you want to pull out of what you're seeing in earnings uh, uh, yesterday and coming into today. So the three earnings releases that we highlighted yesterday in advance were, were the earnings releases from Airbnb, uh, New Holdings, which is the parent company of New Bank, uh, a digital bank in, in Brazil and, and wider Latin America, or at least they're trying to expand, and, and Global Foundries, which is this U.S. equivalent of TSMC, out of uh, out of Taiwan, and um, if we start with Airbnb, you're correct, John. The outlook was very strong, and the market was also rewarding uh, the, uh, the the uh, the the shares of the company up 10% in extended trading. And as you say, I mean, it's one of the I think one of the most sensitive discretionary items you have in your household budget because if you really need the money, you I, I think you can you can sit one year at home and not going on a vacation. I think everyone can survive that, <clears throat> if not more. So uh, the fact that travel and leisure activity remains pretty strong, I think, is a is a is a, a strong signal in itself. Global Foundry is also very positive, both on earnings and revenue, and the outlook was a tad uh, above expectations. So the demand for computer chips remain very robust. That's also the what they put in their press release. And then finally, New New Bank grew the uh, the top line quite considerably, second straight quarter with a positive net income and. Uh, Despite the um, despite some of the cracks we have seen in the uh, in the Latin America credit market, the new bank is is able to really uh, navigate uh, navigate those dark clouds in in Brazil, and and doing quite well. Um, and and keep in mind that Berkshire Hathaway is a, is a, is a shareholder of uh, new bank, so I, I suspect that compared to a lot of other you know fintech companies, this fintech company, if we, I actually hate the expression, but this uh, this new high growth uh, digital bank, I think, is under considerable pressure for an investor like Berkshire Hathaway to, you know, you can grow, but maybe you can actually grow a little bit slower, but, you know, prioritize the bottom line. Show some efficiency. Thank you very much. Yeah. Get some uh, money to put into the deferred taxes uh, pile yes, for, yes. for Berkshire Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> Small poke there. All right. Let's uh, roll forward to the macro calendar for today. The focus now is on important stuff as well for this uh, outlook, and, and that is, you know, where are we in the cycle? How are things doing on the consumer activity front? What better than the January retail sales uh, for a look at that? The expectations and and the, we, I think there's some seasonal adjustments in the past that are just haven't been they haven't fine tuned it enough because you saw that odd dip in December and you're expecting a huge surge in January. I think that has a lot to do with seasonal adjustments. 
Um, but that is reflected in the expectations as well. So they're looking for a headline of 2% plus on the headline and uh, a sub 1%, but just somewhere around there for the uh, for the core, X Auto and gas. So watch those numbers. A very significant surprise in either direction, I think, since its own signal relative to where the market is positioned here with these uh, U.S. yields, at least at the short end, sitting near the top of the cycle, et cetera. Small bits and pieces elsewhere, though, with the Empire Manufacturing, the first regional manufacturing survey of the month. And uh, then the NAHB housing market index, one of the more leading indicators in the U.S. housing market, which bottomed out in December uh, around 31 and surprised uh, several points to the upside in January Expecting another small rise here for February, but any significant surprise there as well might indicate that you know the, the housing market is, has absorbed that massive shock and is just sort of recovering its feet. It doesn't mean it's booming again, but it could mean if we see a, let's call it a forty, a reading of forty, that it's a, it's normalizing to a degree would a sort of emphasize that the, this initial shock impact of the interest rate rises could be fading a bit. And then overnight we have the Australian employment change and uh, unemployment report. And yeah, rest of the week, housing starts and building permits, more housing data related stuff in the U.S. Uh, and uh, I think more more critical is it's a very tense spot across markets when you have these U.S. yields poised towards the highs of the cycle. The U.S. equity market in a very sensitive zone can't seem to generate further momentum higher, but it hasn't yet rolled over convincingly to the downside either. So uh, I think this looks like or feels like a lot can happen uh, in coming days with the general risk, I think, on the side of complacency and more volatility ahead here. So we'll see, and we'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>